Well, good morning. Sweet, I can talk with this thing on, so that's okay. I didn't know how that was going to go today, but welcome to Crossroads. Welcome to those that are here, those watching online. We're glad to be able uh, to worship together this morning. This morning's going to look a little different <laughs> than a normal uh, service here. One, because we've, we've put forth our new uh, Crossroads uh, COVID-19 response plan uh, for at least the foreseeable future the next several weeks, where if you haven't seen, asking those that attend here in person to wear masks, we're not going to have some of our normal ministries like Crossroads Kids and Nursery available, though I do want to let parents know if you have a need and you need um, to go somewhere with your child during the service, the nursery room and the room over here are available uh, should you need that at any point during the service. I hope I said that as uh, as uh, as uh, subtly as I could, right? Uh, no groups uh, for the time being, though there are going to be some online Bible studies that will be available post-Thanksgiving. And then we're asking that if you travel out of town over the next several weeks, that you just take some time to quarantine uh, for the service or two following that in order to uh, be mindful of others' health and mindful of one another. We believe that these are easy steps we can take to love our neighbor, to be mindful of others. And as we saw in Romans 14 and 15, we have an obligation to one another, to care for one another and to be mindful of one another's needs and concerns and consciences. So whether that means that you join us in person with a mask or join us online, we want you to know we love you. We miss you. We're glad glad that you're here and we're seeking to do the best that we can uh, in the days that are ahead. One of the things we're not going to be doing this Sunday is singing uh, due to needing some of our worship team members and needing to be at home due to different things. We're not going to be singing this Sunday, though we're hoping to be back with our worship team next Sunday. So what I want to do is spend some just extended time praying in this season before we dive into God's Word. Spend, Spend an extended time praying as we're in a season where cases are rising, concerns are rising with folks. So I think that would be the best thing to do is to call God's people uh, to pray together. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we know you are in control of everything. That nothing takes you by surprise. That you are the ruler over all things, even over viruses and pandemics. And you're kind and good and you love us. And you have come to dwell among us and to die on the cross in the person of Jesus. And we're thankful for that. We want to pray now for our governor and our local officials and our national leaders who are making decisions. Your word says that it is good and pleasing that we pray for them. And for those that are in authority, that you'd give them wisdom, that you'd give them help. And that you would have them make decisions in such a way that we're able to live a quiet and peaceable life of worshiping you and and making disciples, Lord, that you would help us to continue to be able to gather whatever that takes to do that and to do what you've commanded us to do. Lord, help us um, and give help to the governor, give help to the local officials in Trey County, give uh, help to our president and other leaders that are around him to give them wisdom, to give them strength, to give them clarity as to what to do. We also want to pray for the sick and exposed uh, in our county and beyond. Lord, we want to ask that you would uh, give wisdom and help to the doctors and the nurses that are serving 
those that are, that are sick, Lord, that you protect them from this virus. We're so thankful for those that are sacrificing for us. Lord, I ask that you would be with them, that you would be with the sick and the exposed and the weak in, this, in these times, that you'd protect them, that you'd heal them, that you would, uh, Lord, in your kindness, draw near to them and give comfort to them and their families. We also want to pray for the isolated and the lonely. We know many are impacted uh, mentally uh, in these times of not being able to leave their house and being concerned about leaving their house. Lord, may we be friends to reach out to these people, to call them, to text them, to message them, whatever we can do. We've got so many good gifts of technology to be able to do this, and we pray that you would draw near to them in their isolation and their loneliness. And Lord, we pray for this church. We pray for unity among uh, the body. We pray for clarity of vision and mission and buy-in and investment together in that. And we pray that we would be serious about the gospel and about making disciples uh, for your glory. Lord, whether those that are here in person or watching online, we ask that your word would go forth in power and that it would be blessed to do what your word uh, exists to do, which is to penetrate soul and marrow, to, to work in our hearts, and to conform us more into your image. So as we look at your word this morning, we ask that you'd be glorified and that you'd be made much of in our time together. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, or grab one from a friend, or got one on your phone, whatever it is, find Psalm 13. Psalm chapter 13, we'll be looking at when grief is close and God is far, when grief is near and God seems far. Find Psalm chapter 13, we'll be looking at the whole psalm together. Psalm chapter 13. This is what the word of God says. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lighten up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of God. Last year, about this time, my family was on top of the world. Last year in November, Dana and I were expecting our first child and had both fear and excitement in those days. We were fearful because we'd never been parents before and we're still new to the whole marriage thing, but we were excited because we had always wanted to be. And though we'd hardly made it out of the first trimester, we'd made all these announcements and told family and had all of this big stuff all over Facebook about it. And we were at a regular doctor's appointment. We were there for the ultrasound and we received bad news. Everything stopped. Not only had we lost the baby, but we needed to get to the hospital right away. They sent us, the OBGYN's office was actually in the hospital, so fortunately they just took us to 
the surgery floor and began to prep us for what was ahead. And much of that night and that day, honestly, still a blur to me as it sort of comes in and out with, a, with flashbacks even a year later. We'd lost the baby and my wife's life was in danger due to where the baby had developed. We had an emergency on our hands. And, and it was my birthday, actually, of last year. We entered Owensboro Health as a family of three, and I thought that I might leave a widower. But the Lord was gracious to spare Dana, and though we lost Sam, which is the name we give to our unborn baby, we don't know whether this baby was male or female or any of that info. In that experience, I found myself feeling like David before us in Psalm 13. See, we don't get the background of this psalm. Some psalms you'll read, you get sort of a subscript that starts the psalm that tells you kind of the background. What was going on uh, in the psalmist's life? Look, for example, if you're in Psalm 13, look over at Psalm 18, and you'll see right before the first verse, some background given to us. Look at this. This is Psalm 18. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. You see that we get the background for what encouraged David to write this. We don't get that with Psalm 13. If you look, all we're told is to the choir master, which means that this was meant to be sung in public worship. Imagine you come in and this is what you're singing when they came together for worship. And then it was a psalm written by David. And friends, this means that we can't come to Psalm 13 and the suffering of David and seek to compare ourselves to what he had going on. We're so prone to do that, aren't we? We're so prone where we're going through something. When we look at what somebody else is going on, we're like, well, they, they can't have it as bad as me because I've got this, 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 and they don't have this, this, this. We can't, we can't minimize their suffering and exalt our own because we don't actually know the specifics of what David had going on here. And I think that's helpful for us. We can find ourselves in this psalm. And here we see in this psalm, what's called a lament, a psalm expressing grief, trial, hardship, even mourning. And the Bible is filled with lament. Whether it's in the Psalms, there's actually a whole book of the Old Testament called Lamentations, right? A book all of Jeremiah's laments. And throughout both the Old and New Testament, laments show us that God's people will often and regularly experience a deep, overwhelming sorrow. Despite what the preacher on TV might tell you, even faithful people suffer. And they may suffer deeply and incredibly. And don't, don't buy the lie that, Chris, that signing up to follow Jesus somehow means that you're going to have a life free from suffering or hardship or any of that. Friends, even the preacher can sometimes be brought to cry out, where are you, God? And as we look at David's lament, we get from the rock bottom of grief all the way to the mountaintop of praise, don't we? We begin all the way at the bottom, and he ends exalting God 
on the mountaintop. And we see three movements that we're going to look at as we work through this psalm. Three movements. Psalm 13 is here to teach us what to do when grief is near and God seems far. First, we see the movement of God's distra- David's distress. We see the movement of David's distress. Look with me at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We see four times David has this heartbroken cry, How long? Have you ever felt that? Brothers and sisters, you're going through such a trial that all you can do is ask, when will it be over? Maybe this pandemic feels that way, where you're asking, how long, oh Lord, will this continue? All you know is that you're on a roller coaster ride, and you want to know when you can get off. (laughs) And that's what David's doing. He's crying out, how long? And in fact, we see a triangle of suffering in his life. Three aspects of his distress. First, his distress was upward. It was upward. David felt forgotten by his God. It was upward. Notice again verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Imagine that being your worship lyrics for the Sunday that you gather together. So often, worship songs can be kind of uh, slappy-happy, right? They're just all good, everything's good, life's good. Well, sometimes life ain't good, and we need songs that express that, right? That's why Psalm 13 is here. David felt forgotten by God. It was as if God had hidden his face, which means to be rejected and to feel as if he was truly alone, What hope would David have if God himself had forgotten him? You ever feel like, friends, your prayers were just hitting the ceiling? You ever just been praying and you know maybe theologically in your mind, well, God's out there and God hears prayers, but it just doesn't seem like anybody's listening. That was where David was. One of the most incredible things about laments is that they express complaint to God without expressing unbelief in God. Did you notice that? David, there's not a hint of unbelief in these words. He isn't asking if God is there. He's simply asking when his trial will be over. He isn't asking questions about God's existence, but rather his timeline. So that should teach us that we're encouraged. We can come to God and pray this way. We don't have to come to God pretending everything's good when it's not. He knows if it's not, right? But we don't come expressing unbelief, but rather come trusting, trusting and believing that God is who he says he is. And through the variety of sufferings David had going on, I could imagine the heaviness, the heaviest was the silence of heaven. That the heaviest was he just kept praying and praying and praying and hearing nothing and seeing nothing and and nothing was happening. His distress was upward. He felt forgotten by God. Second, his distress was inward. Inward. David was conflicted in his heart. He was conflicted in his heart. Look at verse 2. 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You know what the worst part of suffering often is? Having to listen to the thoughts within yourself as they sometimes rise up. As if sometimes you seek to give yourself some advice or some counsel to somehow make yourself feel better. Have you ever tried to counsel your own soul and just experience the ever-increasing sorrow that's there? Sometimes the worst part of suffering is actually the advice you give yourself. Well, maybe if I just have one drink, everything will feel better. What could one drink hurt? Maybe you'll tell yourself, well, if I just tell this person off, I'll feel better. If I just post this rant on Facebook, everything will feel better and go away. Or maybe you tell yourself, bitterness within myself is the answer. If I just am angry and bitter, then I will feel better about this eventually. Oh, friends, there are times when the best thing you can do is stop listening to yourself. There are times where the best thing in the midst of your suffering you can do is to not listen. Because sometimes you'll hear a voice in your heart, you know, that sort of inner voice that you can hear that sounds a lot like yourself. But it's coming from the enemy. Friends, it's coming from the forces of evil that want you to believe that it was your idea. When, friends, it was, it, it was originated not, not from, from, from the Holy Spirit, but from the sinful parts of our heart. If you ever have a chance to read a great book, you should go pick up is C.S. Lewis's uh, Screwtape Letters, which describes, uh, the, it's, it's this correspondence between these demons talking about how they're going to mess up this guy's life. And it's so interesting how they would use some of these very subtle things like he had this thought this week. Let's run with this. Let's make him think he's right about this and, and see where it gets him in his life. Friends, sometimes the worst thing you can do is begin to listen to yourself. And rather, sometimes the best thing we can do is begin to even doubt our doubts, to begin to even question, where is this coming from? And to, and to not take counsel in those, but to instead take counsel in God's word. David's distress was inward. He was conflicted in his heart. Third, David's distress was outward. It was outward. He was being assaulted by his enemies. Look at the end of verse 2. You get kind of a glimpse of a little bit of what David might have been going through. Verse 2. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see the triangle upward, inward, and outward. He had three different ways in which he was experiencing this distress and this torment. And the Psalms often follow this pattern, and there was an enemy that was against him, and it's clear this enemy appeared to be winning. And David had many enemies. We don't know which one this was. Was it Saul, the king who came against him? Was this Goliath? Was this the Philistines? He even had a time where his own son, Absalom, was out to get him. Friends, David had many enemies, and friends, whether you realize it or not, you have an enemy. This isn't popular, friends. This isn't true. This, is, this isn't something that your culture will, will tell you is true, but it is, it is, friends. There are dark and demonic forces that desire to destroy your life. There is evil. You have an enemy in this world, and you need to be mindful of it because the second that you forget your enemy's there is the second your enemy has won. 
Friends, we need to be mindful that David was at the point where he was being assaulted and torn down, that he didn't just have an enemy anymore. He had a conqueror. He had been taken prisoner, beaten down, and, 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 and it had appeared his enemy had won. Have you ever felt like David? Distressed from above, distressed within, distressed without. Have you ever felt the silence of heaven, confusion in your heart, and boasting of your enemies? It was into all of this that David laments. He comes to God with complaint, with lamenting. And believer, it is into this that we are able to come to God in lament. We're able to come to God and ask him, how long, O Lord, will will this continue? We turn now from David's distress into the movement of David's demand. David's demand. See, he turns from lament. He doesn't, yes, he laments and he brings his concerns and his complaints to God, but he doesn't just stay there. He begins to move now into petition, into asking God to step into his situation. And it's so interesting what David asked for. First, David prayed for God's attention. He prayed for God's attention. Notice verse 3. Look at this. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He says, God, pay attention to me. And this may seem like a small thing, but this is a bold request. David, a lowly creature, is demanding the Creator's attention. Pay attention to me, King of the universe. Be mindful of me. Put me on your priority list, God. That's what he's asking for. And yet, as astonishing as this is, you are able to pray this way. We're able to pray this way first because we're not just any creatures, but we're creatures made in God's image. Made in God's image, and thus we're a special and valuable creation. And consider what David wrote in Psalm 8, just a few pages over. Look what he says here, Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. When I look at the heavens and the works of your hand, the moon and stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. And he continues, yet you've made him, being mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hand, and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Friends, We're more valuable than the sparrows, than the grass, than any other creature. We're the creatures who can have God's ear. And even beyond this, we're not just creatures made in the image of God, but as Christians, as believers, as people who've trusted in Jesus, we are adopted into God's family as his children. We're not just creations. We are beloved children. And friends, the Father hears our cry in the middle of the night. What father or mother, if they were awoken in the middle of the night to their child going, Mommy, Daddy, come here. What good parent wouldn't get out of bed and go to them in their time 
of need. Friends, in the darkness of night, your heavenly Father hears your cry for help and is ready to come to you because he never sleeps or slumbers. He's never in bed. He's never bothered. And he's never busy governing the world. He's always doing it without ever extending incredible effort on his own. David prays for God's attention, but he also prays, second, for God's strength. For God's strength. Look at the rest of verse 3. Look at this. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He says, light up my eyes. He's asking for strength here. Let me show you. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 13 uses a similar phrase here. Look, it says, the poor man and the oppressor meet together and the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. He's the one who is the source of life, the source of strength, All of it comes from him. This prayer for physical life, is he's asking for it to be sustained and for his strength to continue in the midst of adversity. You'll also see this. You can mark down this story in your notes to go read later. But 1 Samuel 14, you've got Jonathan, who's sort of David's best friend. He was hungry. And Saul, who was Jonathan's father, had said, Hey, Jonathan and troops, y'all can't eat until David is captured. Jonathan comes along some honeycomb, and he eats it anyway. And the scriptures will say that his eyes were lightened. He was given light to his eyes, just like Psalm 13 says here. This is the idea of giving strength. This is David's prayer to get through another day. This is David's version of the Lord's Prayer, where it says, Give us this day our daily bread, and it's interesting, he doesn't ask God to get rid of his suffering, but he does ask for strength to endure it. He asks for strength to make it through another day, and this is a prayer for the moment. He says, God, do this, or I will sleep the sleep of death. My enemies will prevail over me. My foes are going to rejoice because I'm shaken. He says, God, help me through another day, lest those who have stood against you rejoice. We see David's demands. He prays to God in the midst of his suffering for attention and for strength. And finally, we transition into this third movement of the psalm, David's devotion. From David's distress to his demand, now to his devotion. Look at verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm has taken us from rock bottom, and now it looks like David's on top of the world, on the mountaintop singing praise to God. But you don't ever hear that God resolved the issue. Where did this come from? Three, three things we see. David responds with faith. David responds with faith. Notice it says in verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. The, the Hebrew word for steadfast love here you see in your notes is the word hesed in the Hebrew, which means not simply any kind of love. There's many different 
words in the Bible for love, and, and there's ones for his general love. This, this here, hesed, is his covenant love, his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, his promise-making covenant commitment to somebody. It's, it's God's word of this. Exodus 15, 13 says that God showed hesed to the people of Israel when he led them through the Red Sea. We see in Exodus 34, when God passed before Moses, it said that God is a God that's abounding in hesed, abounding in steadfast love and kindness. And God even promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that hesed, his steadfast love, his covenant kindness, would never depart from David and his house. David was trusting in God's covenant love. He knew that if God made a commitment to his people in loving kindness, that God keeps his word. Sure, everything around David was falling apart, but he could echo what Jesus would later say, that heaven and earth would pass away, but God's word will not pass away, that God will keep his word. And brothers and sisters, is our immediate response to the pain of suffering to draw back by ourselves or to lean in to God's word and his promises? Friends, who or what do we listen to in our suffering? Who or what do we listen to in our suffering? David was rooted in the word and though enemies surrounded him, he could confess that God's love never fails. He could confess that whatever was happening to him was not outside of the loving hand of a covenant-making God who has made promises to him and who will keep every single one of them. Oh, how glorious it is that we have a God that keeps his word. And God is so serious about keeping his word to humanity that he sent Jesus, the Son of God, into the world to shed his blood to guarantee and purchase for you God's hesed, God's covenant love. This isn't just something that David has. This is something that if you are in Christ, you have. And it's something that you want to experience, you can have through turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the yes and the amen of all of God's promises. And do we respond to our suffering with fear or faith? Do we respond with this model of faith that David gives us? in his response to suffering. Second, notice David responds not just with faith, but with worship. With worship. See this. Look what he continues here. He says, But, my, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Again, we don't get a resolution here. Did God give help to David? Did he grant relief to this inner turmoil? Did he defeat his enemies? We simply don't know. But but David didn't know either. He didn't know when or how God was going to do this. But he did know that he could sing through it all. David says that he was going to rejoice through the wreckage. And that his rejoicing wasn't going to be rooted in his circumstances, but in his confidence and who God is. Did you notice the statement is in the future tense? 
you notice that? David didn't know what was going to come, but he did, he did say, I will sing to the Lord. I've trusted in the past, but I shall rejoice in the future in your salvation. David didn't know what was coming, but he did know that he could sing a song of praise in the end. He didn't know that he'd get relief, but he knew that he'd be thankful regardless of what happens. And this is so instructive to our lives because worship and thanksgiving are not options for us as God's people. Consider Paul's words in Philippians 4.4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. He says, as if he didn't get it the first time, let me say it again. Rejoice, be thankful all times, regardless of our circumstances. Joy in the Lord, which is what worship is, is meant to mark our lives. And does it mark yours? Paul instructs us elsewhere that thanksgiving must mark our lives. What we're about to celebrate, regardless of of how different it might look, even if it's not the thanksgiving you always imagined, the act of thanksgiving isn't an option. And friends, in fact, Romans chapter 1 tells us, after Paul talks all about how the root of sin is that we can look out in the world and see that God exists and yet suppress that truth, and yet somehow deny what's clear to us. Romans chapter 1 says that the first sprout of sin is actually thanklessness. Look at Romans 1.21. Look at this. For although they knew God, meaning they can look out and see that, that, hey, this stuff had to get here somehow. A creation uh, assumes a creator. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in your thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, thanklessness is evidence that we are living as atheists. Thanklessness is evidence that we are living as if God isn't real, because if God isn't real, why be thankful at all? Think about this. As you sit around your dinner table, there are so many things that you're thankful for that you had nothing to do with. And that another person at the table had nothing to do with. Who determined where you were born? Who determined these sort of gifts and and intrinsic things you have? Your life, your food, your country. All of these things that are so far above you and beyond you. Who can you give thanks to for those things? Friends, no matter the circumstance, can't we find things to thank and worship our God for? Notice David's response of worship. And finally, notice how he responds with perspective. Perspective. Notice carefully. I will sing to the Lord. This is both a present and a future tense here. I'm going to do it in the present. I'm going to do it in the future. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Past tense. David was confident, fully assured that everything that happened to him and will ever happen to him happened out of God's bounty. It was out of God's kindness. It was nothing but grace upon grace. And we may not feel it in the moment, but we can look in the rear view and see that God's hand was all over whatever it was. 
Spurgeon, who I love Spurgeon so much, I named my cat after him, right? Spurgeon said this, The complaint which in our haste we utter shall be joyfully retracted, and we shall witness that the Lord hath dealt bountifully with us. This psalm teaches us an important principle. First, that faith always looks forward in confidence, but also has a backward glance as well. In order to look forward in faith, we need to look back in contentment and see all that God did up to this moment. Seeing God's fingerprint all over our past helps us trust his hand in the future. When was the last time you looked back and just recognized God's bounty all over your life? Because as a child of God, every moment of your life has been dripping with grace. Every burden has actually been a bounty. But to look back like this takes not just knowledge about God, but knowledge of God. It doesn't just take knowing all the facts. It actually takes knowing him to know his character, experience his goodness, and not just affirming that God is good all the time, but knowing it, treasuring it, and and being able to recount his goodness to you. It takes perspective. And friends, Psalm 13 is incredible. This lament is in the Bible. This psalm is one of the ones God chose to be in his songbook. Anybody here remember the days of mixtapes, right? If the Holy Spirit were going to put together a mixtape, this is on it, right? He put together 150 songs on his mixtape, and that's what's on it. Millennials and Gen Zs, y'all don't remember mixtapes, but if you know what a pl- you have a playlist, right, on Spotify or whatever it might be, this is on that playlist. Psalm 13 is on God's personally selected worship playlist. And friends, would Psalm 13 describe your life? Let me tell you something. All of you are somewhere in this psalm. You're either right now in the first verses of it. You're either maybe somewhere in the middle praying to God in the midst of need. Or you're on the final verses of the mountaintop praise, or you're headed in one of those directions. Isn't it said that you're always either coming into a trial, coming out of a trial, or preparing to go into one, right? And are you prepared for the days that verse 1 and 2 come to you? Because hear me, they will. If they haven't hit you yet, they're coming for you. Young people, let me tell you, you may not have had this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, but it's coming for you. Prepare for it. Your preacher warned you about it, and it will come. And how do we know, and how can we know God in this time in such a way that when we can't trace his hand, friends, we must still trace his heart. When we can't trace his hand, we can still trust. His heart. See, if you're struggling to see God's goodness in your suffering, let me give you a closing thought. Because Psalm 13, yes, is about David, but it's ultimately about Jesus. It's ultimately about Jesus. Because when Jesus was dying on the cross, did you know he sang a song? He quoted a song. 
there on the cross. Tells you about the importance and power of music in somebody's life. As he was hanging on that cross and darkness came over him, he actually quoted from the Psalms. It wasn't Psalm 13, but it was a Psalm of lament. And as he breathed his last breath, he said this in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words are from Psalm 22, but they echo the anguish of Psalm 13. Jesus truly knows what it means to be forsaken by God as he on the cross bore the sins of humanity and the wrath of God for our sins. Jesus knew what it was like for his enemies to boast over him, even as one of his own friends sold him to these people and soldiers and passerbys mocked him. And he knows what it's like for a humanity that he created and came to save to ultimately reject him and put him to death. Friends, Psalm 13 is all about Jesus. And it shows that you don't go through suffering without a God who intimately understands it. A God who's actually experienced it. He came, have you ever thought about this? Jesus could have, I guess, come to earth as a fully grown man, crawled himself up on that cross and done all of this, but he decided to come and be born as a baby and live his whole 30-something years of life with all the ups and the downs and the suffering and the issues that come from just living a life of growing up. And he walked a path of suffering, of poverty, of rejection, and yet did it without sin. And his life would climax In the greatest injustice of all human history, his crucifixion on the cross to pay for crimes that we committed. And you ever think that Jesus might have said, how long, O Lord? How long? And God would answer in the grave, three days. Three days in the grave as Jesus rose again to declare God's hesed, his steadfast love and salvation and bountiful goodness everywhere that that news will go. And we're not alone in our suffering because God has dealt with the greatest problem that we could possibly face, our sin problem. We can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. And we can receive the promise that we often echo but don't think a lot about. And that is Romans 8.28, right? That all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, Many of us quote this, but we don't really think about the context of it. We, we throw this verse around. We haven't really thought about it. Because in the context of, of all things, he talks about in Romans 8.35. He talks about who can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he lists some of those all things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. He says all those things are going to work together. And friends, some of us, our biggest concern is about a mask on our face. Friends, he says much bigger, there's much bigger fish to fry in the world. And that he's going to work all of it together for our good and his glory. And good doesn't mean that all of your problems in life might be resolved. But it means joy in this life, in the next. 
It means rejoicing in God as we're conformed more into his image and joy in Christ for all eternity because the good is actually defined for us in Romans 8.30. Look at this where he says, and he gets into a lot of things we don't have time to touch on today anyway, but and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Here's the key. And those who he justified, set right with himself, he also glorified. That he is going to bring us to be with him for all of eternity. He's going to resurrect us out of the grave and give us a new glorious body to dwell with him forever. And this promise is so sure that Paul speaks of it as if it already happened. That those who he justified, he also glorified. It is so sure that he could speak of it as he could speak of a future reality in the past tense. See, God isn't promising you your best life now. Despite what the books at Walmart might tell you in the religious section, friends, he's not promising you your best life now without suffering or without heartbreak. But God is saying, I've been there. He says, I have walked a path of suffering in your place without sin, and I've died on a cross, and I've risen again from the dead as a hope and a down payment for you in your suffering. And he did that to transform our how long, Lord, into our yes, yes, Lord, you were right all along. And it would lead us to sing what David says in Psalm 13, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has been bountiful to me. Can we say that in our life looking back? Can we take some time to think in these next moments about all that he's led us through? And friends, look back and say, God has been good to me. I want us to pray together and take time just to reflect on this in these days ahead. That regardless of what happens... God has been bountiful with his children. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are good. Father, we're thankful that you have a purpose in the midst of our suffering. We're so thankful that you have come to live on this earth, to live a sinless life, to live a life where you suffered And you can understand and you can give us grace and mercy in our time of need, the word says. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody within the sound of my voice this morning, whether here in person or online, that in these moments they would place their trust in you and go, Lord, I may not have all the answers, but I know that you have shown steadfast love to me in your death, burial, and resurrection that we would trust in you in these moments and talk with somebody for, for more. But Lord, I pray for those who are your children that we would see your loving, fatherly hand all over us, your bounty in our life, and, and not just in this next week, but in this next season of our life, we would be overflowing with thankfulness. As thanklessness is the primary mark that we don't know you and that we've never given much thought to you. Lord, help us to be more thankful people, and help us to have opportunity this, in these coming weeks and months, as, as just different opportunities arise, to speak about the hope we have in you. 
because you have loved us and given us a comfort and a good hope. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close our service as we always do with a benediction, with a, a reading from God's word. And thank you all for, for being here in the midst of all that's going on. I know I certainly appreciate it. And thank you for those that, are, that I know we have more tuning in online this morning. We're going to close with a reading from the end of the book of Jude. Jude chapter 24, and Jude verse 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.